Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello and welcome to the Haunted Estate. Hello and welcome back to the Haunted Estate. Yes, it has only been two days since the last episode. I am just excited to make more for you and... um, I'm hoping you're just as excited to hear more from me. So tonight we will be going into your calls, your stories, and we will be hearing 10 alleged ghost sightings with bizarre consequences. That and so much more today on this episode of The Haunted Estate. Call in and tell us your ghost story. Toll free. one 260 3428 Yes, that is the number. That is a toll-free number. You can record for up to 20 minutes. So feel free to call in, tell us your story, your topic idea, or any comments. No fear of actually having to talk to a human being. I would be petrified of that, too. Not to mention that there is the website, www.thehauntedestate.com, or our new domain, www.theparanormalpodcast.com. Up in that right corner, you will see a little envelope that sends your emails directly to me. Do you have an idea that you would like me to talk about? Some haunted landmark or place? Don't be afraid. Reach out today. 10 Alleged Ghost Sightings with Bizarre Consequences. This is a fun article that I did find on Facebook. Um, some of these names are terrible, and I keep re-recording it. I am butchering them. So I'm just going to cut down to their first names because um, that's, uh, that's what I have to do to not sound like an idiot. So number 10 is the Green Beer Ghost Murder Victim Helps Convict her husband. On January 23rd, 1897, 23-year-old Zona died under mysterious circumstances at her home in Greenbeer County, West Virginia. Strangely, by the time a doctor arrived, Zona's husband, Aramis, had already moved her body from the downstairs area to the bed and dressed her. Throughout the next few days, Trout displayed some bizarre behavior over his wife's passing, but since the cause of death was was initially believed to be heart failure, no one suspected foul play. Weeks after Zona was laid to rest, her mother, Mary Jane Heaster, paid a visit to the local prosecutor to ask if her daughter's body could be exhumed. The decision was motivated by allegedly visits from Zona's ghost. Mary Jane, her mother claimed that Zona's ghost had visited her over the course of four nights and revealed that her husband was an abusive husband who had broken her neck by strangling her in a fit of rage. The authorities agreed to Mary Jane's request to exhume her daughter. An autopsy revealed that Zona's neck had been broken. The husband was arrested and charged with his wife's murder. 
Even though the, the evidence against him was very circumstantial, when Mary Jane was called to be the witness and to stand trial, her defense attorney challenged the story about the supposed encounters with the green beer ghost. However, Mary Jane never wavered from her original story, and her testimony proved to be so convincing and believable that the jury could not disregard it. In the end, they would find the husband guilty. He was given a life sentence and died three years later. Number nine, the ghost of James L. Chapin. Ghost helps family find his missing will. In 1921, James Chapin, a farmer from Moxville, North Carolina, died after a fall. He left behind his wife and four sons. James' will, which had been written out many years beforehand, left the family farm to a third son, Marshall. However, legal problems arose in the following year when Marshall unexpectedly died. Since there were no provisions for the rest of the Chavin family in the will, they wound up losing the estate to Marshall's widow. However, in 1925, James' second son, James Pinky Chaffin, shocked everyone by filing a lawsuit to challenge the will's validity. Even more shocking was the fact that this lawsuit was brought on by alleged interactions with a ghost. James Jr. claimed that he had been having a series of dreams where he was visited by his father's spirit. One night, James Sr. suddenly appeared wearing his old overcoat and told his son that a new will could be found inside the pocket. When James Jr. retrieved his father's overcoat, he discovered that inside the pocket was a new lining. Hidden in that pocket was a note that read, Read the 27th chapter of Genesis in my daddy's old Bible. James Jr. soon tracked down his grandfather's old Bible. He was shocked to discover that the new will was actually hidden inside, right next to the 27th chapter of Genesis. It had been written by James Sr. in 1919. James Sr. now wanted his estate to be divided equally among his four children. At the trial, experts seemed to agree that the handwriting on the will actually belonged to James. Even Marshall's widow became convinced that this was genuine, so she agreed to a settlement and returned the control of the estate to the sons. Number eight, Montrose Ghost, dead pilot returns to clear his name. On the morning of May 27, 1913, Lieutenant Desmond Arthur, an Irish-born pilot in the Royal Flying Corps, took off in a BE-2 biplane for a seemingly routine training flight in the Montrose Airfield in Scotland. However, the right wing of the aircraft suddenly snapped off mid-flight, and Arthur was killed in the subsequent crash. Initially, it was believed that the tragedy was caused by a faulty repair job on the plane. However, three years later, an official government investigation would determine that Arthur himself was at fault for the crash. Many of Arthur's fellow airmen were unhappy about this and the black, the black mark on his record. But it wasn't long before the Montrose airfield would be plagued by a series of unexplainable supernatural events. In August 19, 2016, personnel stationed at the Montrose started having visions of what appeared to be a ghostly apparition of a pilot. Some of the witnesses recognized the mysterious figure and believed it to be the ghost of Desmond Arthur. The sightings became so widespread that terrified airmen started abandoning their posts or requesting a transfer from Montrose. 
Finally, C.J. Gray, the editor of the flying magazine, The Aeroplane, decided to push forward the theory that Arthur had returned to haunt his former airfield in response to the government investigation that smeared his name. Gray successfully lobbied for the investigation into the crash to be reopened. This time, the verdict was that Desmond Arthur was not responsible. After Arthur's name was cleared, the Montrose ghost would disappear, save for one last thing, where he appeared to be smiling. Number seven, the Cock Lane Ghost, haunting fabricated to accuse an innocent. There have been many numerous recorded cases of alleged hauntings that turned out to be complete hoaxes, but a few of them created the sensationalism of the Cock Lane Ghost. In 1759, William Kent and his spouse Fanny moved to a house on Cock Lane, the narrow alley of the Smithfield section of London. Six months later, the couple would move out after a dispute over money. The landlord, Richard Parsons, refused to pay back a loan William had made to him. Shortly afterward, Fanny passed away from smallpox. In January 1762, William was shocked to read an article about himself in the public ledger. The article implied that William had murdered Fanny. The person responsible for this story was Richard Parsons, who claimed that the house on Cock Lane was now haunted by Fanny's ghost. Fanny allegedly appeared for Parsons, telling him that she did not die of smallpox and that her husband had poisoned her with arsenic. William was invited to his former home for a seance, in which a clergyman named John Moore would summon Fanny's spirit. When asked a series of questions, the ghost responded with a series of knocks that painted William as a murderer. The Cock Lane ghost became such a sensational story that a large, clouds, large crowds would flock to the location. Seances became a frequent occurrence. Eventually, the whole story was largely considered a fraud when Parsons' young daughter, Elizabeth, was caught rapping on a board to simulate the ghostly knocking sounds. In order to clear his name, William Kent filed a lawsuit charging Parsons, Reverend Moore, Parsons' wife, and a servant with the conspiracy. They were given short prison sentence and forced to pay restitution to William. Number six, Lowe's Cottage. Couple sues for undisclosed haunting. In 1994, an English couple named Andrew and Josie Smith moved into Lowe's Cottage with their three children. The house was a centuries-old sandstone residence located in the village of Upper Mayfield. The Smiths have purchased it from a pair of sisters, Susan Melbourne and Sandra Podmore. However, according to the Smiths, they would soon discover that the Lowe's cottage was haunted. Objects in the house started moving on their own, and visions of ghostly figures appeared. At one point, Josie claimed that an unseen spirit attempted to rape and strangle her while she was in bed. Smiths would also learn of a local urban legend involving a young milkmaid who once lived in the house before she was raped and murdered. A family decided to flee Lowe's, College, Lowe's Cottage, but the previous owners filed suit against them for $3,000, the final installment of the Smiths' down payment. In response, the Smiths filed a countersuit against the former owners for failing to disclose that the home was haunted. The two sisters claimed that they had never experienced any paranormal activity during the time that they were there and believed that the Smiths were fabricating the story to get out of paying what they owed. The case was heard at Derby County Court in 1999. 
The Smiths made an attempt to make a far-fetched story to sound convincing. A priest named Reverend Peter Mockford had been through to bless the Lowe's cottage, and he would testify that he believed the house was haunted. In spite of his testimony, the judge did not believe the story and ruled in favor of the two sisters, ordering the Smiths to pay them the $3,000. Number five, Samboski vs. Ackley. A house is legally declared haunted. It's very rare for lawsuits involving haunted houses to find success in the court of law, but in the case of Samboski vs. Ackley, it is an odd exception. In 1989, a man named Jeffrey purchased the house in Nilac, New York, which had previously been occupied by Helen Ackley, her and her family. However, it was not until after they moved in that they learned that the house attained much more notoriety and was rumored to be haunted. For years, Ackley had been claiming that the house was occupied by ghosts and that she even sold her story to Reader's Digest and other media outlets. The problem was that neither Ackley nor her realtor bothered to disclose this to the Symboskis before they purchased the home. Even though they never saw ghosts and did not believe in him, him and his wife were terrified of the prospect of living in a haunted house. He decided to file a lawsuit against Ackley and the realtor for fraudulent misinterpretation and demanded to be let out of his contract. He initially lost his suit in a lower court, but after a successful appeal, the case would be heard in front of an appellate division of the New York Supreme Court in 1991. Believe it or not, the court actually ruled in his favor. He was allowed out of his contract, and his down payment on the house was returned. The ruling was based on the fact that Ackley had publicly advertised that her home was haunted and made money from selling the story, so she was obligated to disclose this fact to potential buyers. In the words of one of the judges, as a matter of law, the house is haunted. Number four, the gray man, ghost saves people from hurricanes. Polly's Island is a small coastal town in South Carolina. The town has become notable for the presence of a spirit known as the gray man. Ever since 1822, there have been numerous sightings of a mysterious spectral figure who wanders the area's coastline. Much folklore surrounds the Gray Man, and there are numerous theories about his identity. One popular story is that he was a young man on the way to ask his lover to marry him, but died after getting caught in quickstand. Because of this, he is forever condemned to wander the area, searching for his lost love. However, what elevates the Gray Man from being more than just your standard ghost story is that the belief of seeing him could possibly save your life. It's rumored that the gray man always makes his appearance before a major hurricane hits the area. If you happen to encounter him, you'll be spared from the storm's destruction. Eyewitnesses have claimed that the gray man allegedly warned them to leave the area before a hurricane arrived. When the hurricane passed, the witnesses would return to the area and find their homes completely undamaged. While these stories may sound like urban legends, there is at least one documented case of such a situation happening in more modern times in September 1989. An elderly couple named Jim and Clara Moore claimed to have passed the gray man during a walk outside their beach home. Not long afterward, Hurricane Hugo hit the area and caused widespread destruction. However, even though the surrounding homes were completely destroyed, the Moore's residence was inexplicably left unharmed. Number three, the Hammersmith ghost. A man shoots a man he thinks 
is a ghost. On January 3, 1804, Francis Smith, an exercise officer from Hammersmith area of London, was arrested for the shooting death of a bricklayer named Thomas Millwood. However, Smith claimed that it was self-defense, and he had one hell of an excuse. Millwood was dressed in white clothing, so Smith thought he was shooting a ghost. Believe it or not, at the time, this did not seem like a far-fetched story. Throughout the previous month, Hammersmith had been plagued by numerous sightings of what appeared to be a ghostly apparition. Things got really serious when a pregnant woman claimed to have been attacked by the ghost and died two days later. Armed vigilantes started searching for the ghost, which is what Francis Smith had just happened to be doing the night of January 3rd, when he shot Thomas Millwood. Because the community was so terrified of the Hammersmith ghost, people wondered whether Smith should be held liable for Millwood's death, but he was not charged with the willful murder. At the trial, witnesses actually testified about previous incidents where Millwood's white clothing had frightened people who mistook him for a ghost. The jury initially decided that Smith should only be convicted on the lesser charge of manslaughter. However, the judge overruled their verdict and told them that they needed to either find Smith guilty of murder or acquit him altogether. They chose to find him guilty of murder. He was sentenced to death. However, Smith, as soon as granted a royal pardon, which commuted his sentence to one year hard labor, after this incident, the Hammersmith ghost was never seen again. Number two, the ghost of Russell Colvin, innocent brothers get charged with murder. In May 1812, a man named Russell Colvin mysteriously disappeared without explanation from his hometown of Manchester, Vermont. Colvin happened to be the brother-in-law of Jesse and Stephen Bourne, who never liked him. Colvin's whereabouts would remain unknown for the next seven years until the Bourne brother's uncle, Amos Bourne, shared a crazy story. Apparently, Amos had been having recurring dreams where the ghost of Russell Colvin appeared at his bedside. The ghost said that he had been murdered and directed Amos toward a cellar hole on the Bourne family farm, where his remains were supposedly hidden. A search of the cellar hole turned up no remains, but did uncover some items that allegedly belonged to Colvin shortly afterward. A dog dug up some bone fragments at another location near the Bourne's property. The Bourne brothers were subsequently arrested and charged with Colvin's murder. After a forceful interrogation, both of them eventually confessed to the crime. Even when it became apparent that Colvin's so-called remains actually belonged to an animal and that the Bourne's confessions had been coerced, there was enough circumstantial evidence for them to be convinced. Jesse would receive life in prison while Stephen was sentenced to death via hanging. However, in 1819, when the New York Evening Post published an article about the Bourne's convictions, a witness came forward to claim that he had seen Russell Colvin in New Jersey. Colvin was eventually tracked down and brought back to Manchester to prove he was alive. On December 22, 1819, just one month before Stephen's scheduled execution, Colvin shocked the community by making a surprise appearance. The Bourne brothers were officially exonerated. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that 
and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Booty vs. Barnaby. Man sued for slandering a ghost. If one was to look through centuries of court records, they would be hard-pressed to find a more bizarre case than Booty vs. Barnaby. Some specific details are unknown, such as the first name of the participants. And the whole thing sounds too unbelievable to be true. Yet, an unofficial excerpt of the, case was act- of the case was actually found in the records of the Court of the King's Bench from 1688. The story goes on that on May 15, 1687, a sea captain named Barnaby and his crew were shooting for rabbits on the island of Sonroli, Italy. Italy. That afternoon, they saw a man being chased across the island by a figure dressed in black. Barnaby recognized the man being pursued as Mr. Booty his neighbor from back home in Gravesend, England. The two figures ran towards a volcano and mysteriously disappeared into some flames. Months later, Barnaby returned to the home and was shocked to learn that Mr. Booty had died around the exact same time that Barnaby saw him being chased in Stromboli. Barnaby became convinced that he had seen Booty's ghost and that he was chased into the flames of hell. The story soon spread around the town, but Burnaby received a stunning surprise that he found that the deceased man's widow, Mrs. Booty, was filing a lawsuit against him for slander. Apparently, she did not like the idea of Barnaby spreading rumors that her late husband had been condemned to hell. Believe it or not, the case was actually heard at the court king's bench. Barnaby had recorded the incident from Stromboli in his ship's journal, and at least 30 witnesses backed up the story. Many of them testified that Mr. Booty appeared to be dressed in the exact same clothing he was wearing at the time of his death. The court came to the conclusion that a whole 30 witnesses could not be mistaken. They ruled that Barnaby had not committed slander. Mrs. Booty lost the case have an article you would like to share with the rest of our fellow speakers? Call it in at one 260 Share it on our Facebook page, The Haunted Estate, or email it to us at selena at thehauntedestate.com. I uh, need to say, uh, sorry for, if you noticed, we had about one of those stories there was actually read by my husband. I recorded it so many times, and there was just a really weird mix of words, and I just became so frustrated having to say them. Like, you can hear, even he screwed up, and he's like a great reader. Um, (laughs) Anyways, I love those stories. Um, You have a whole mix of real paranormal stories, things you're going to question. The one that I find really intriguing is that last one where he actually saw him like on the other side of the world um, running into the like the flames of hell and how could 30 people be wrong I've heard of you know group hallucinations and that kind of things but you know that's a lot um, 
If you have an article, anything like this, that you would like to be read on the show or you think that I would just simply enjoy, we do have a Facebook page. It is The Haunted Estate. You type it in the top. You will find it. Feel free to share it on our page. Um, Number four, the one that was The Gray Man Who Saves People from Hurricanes. I have actually seen a documentary somewhere um, about that, and that's... I love stories like that. Um, The other ones are about the haunted house that they had advertised the house as haunting. And would that ever be bad karma if you, you know, use that kind of story just to get ahead in life and then um, it backfires on you? Um, I definitely know that the house that I grew up in is haunted and I've talked about it on the show. It's been a lot of buyers since in that house, so hopefully they'll never come back. (laughs) I love haunted house stories. Um, They're definitely my favorite. Do you have a haunted house story? Have you... I've always find like a lot of stories I hear about are when people stay over at other people's houses. And I'm curious if that, that always happens because the ghosts are just kind of curious as who's staying in the house. If you do have a haunted house story, please call it in toll free at one 270 That article that I read today is on the website called Lissaverse. It will be underneath blog posts on the hauntedestate.com. And you can leave me comments there, actually. This next story is titled House of Hell. This is a true account of the paranormal. I moved into a unit with my two sons, aged six and eight years, after divorce, in my early 30s. I had spent several years on my own as a single mom. The unit was three bedrooms, modern, with my bedroom on the end of the unit. Down a tiled hallway, there were the boys' rooms next to each other. We were in the unit for several months when one night my six-year-old tore into my room saying that something kept brushing his cheek every night and that he didn't want to sleep in that room anymore. He seemed quite genuinely scared. I assured him that there could be nothing brushing his cheek and put him back into his bed. I see nothing in here, I showed him. The following night he was back in my room with tears streaming down his face all wide-eyed and terrified, squealing that something was touching him. He went straight to my jewelry box, grabbed a cross from it, and held it tightly in his little fist. We're non-churchy people. I had no idea where he had got that worked out from. He tapped the top of my shoulder and said that the angels had left. That was where they normally sat. I looked at him dumbfounded as he cried. I cuddled him and put him in the bed next to me. I noticed that all the hairs on his forearms were sticking up as he laid there whimpering that the man with the white face was here. He continued to stay in my bed every night, and there was no way I could get him back into his room. Then, one night, I felt it. Fingertips on my cheek. Half asleep, my eyes busted open to see nothing in the dark, only the sensation of fingers stroking. I froze and ripped the covers up over my head, laying there mortified, until I couldn't take the lack of oxygen anymore. Daring to pull the covers back down, I checked my boy, sound asleep, oblivious. A guitar strummed in my other son's room. At this stage, I shit myself. I nervously got out of bed and walked in trepidation down the hall to his room, where the moonlight entering through his window revealed that he was sound asleep. I know that a freight train wouldn't wake him, He managed to sleep through the music. In his room, I felt a circular heat patch throughout my feet, 
coming through the tiles next to his bed. The guitar was in a corner on the opposite side of the room. Nothing there. However, the tiles everywhere else were cold in the house that night. I bolted back to my bed and I didn't sleep a wink. The following days passed, I noticed a static electric buildup feeling in the air of all the bedrooms. It didn't matter that I opened the windows, day or night, letting air flow through. The closeness remained. One night, trying to drift off to sleep, a huge bang sent me through the roof. I scampered out of bed, flicking every light on to find a smash picture frame or mirror on the ground in the lounge. Bloody nothing. I really started to feel like I was losing my mind. The fear began to escalate into extreme terror at night, as it seemed that these odd events only happened when I started relaxing to fall asleep. One night, I lit two candles on the side table next to my bed as my boy slept next to me. I no longer felt comfortable in the dark. I watched the flames for what seemed like half an hour as my eyelids grew heavy. When I got to the point where I was feeling completely relaxed, my eyes shot open like dinner plates, as if I couldn't believe what I was witnessing. The two flames slowly rose together in unison. They crept skywards around one meter high and both sat there unwavering at the same level for roughly five minutes. I couldn't move. I was absolutely, utterly, completely frozen. I didn't dare move. The flames now resembled two level swords, gulping and swallowing at a million miles per hour for what seemed like an eternity. I then witnessed them slowly lowering back together down at the same speed, reducing back into a normal-sized flame, ending with a flicker. Holy fucking snapping duck shit, what was that? Catching my breath once again, there was no way that I could settle myself to sleep. Over the ensuing days, the static from the bedrooms filtered through the entire unit. The open plan kitchen was full of it. It was as though the unit was attempting to push me out of it. In a weird werby, I could no longer breathe any fresh air within it, regardless of the breeze from every open window. The atmosphere was it was within so much heavy, thick particleness. One evening, the boy slept over at my mother's so I could have a timeout. I felt uneasy without them in the house, and it was the first time I'd been alone. Night falls again, and I'm in bed, waiting, anticipating what will happen next. I left the hall light on. No darkness on this night. I felt something next to me in bed where my son normally would be. There was nothing but empty space there, yet I could feel it. I glanced to the sheets next to me, and there was an indentation. At this point, my computer speakers let out the highest pitch frequency. They burst my eardrums at one squillion decibels for a full couple minutes. I placed my hands over my ears and imagined that the general public could have heard the screech by 40 blocks away. As suddenly as it started, it stopped. That was it. I was done. A total wreck by this stage. I removed my hands from my ears, shot straight up, screaming my face off. I screamed. I cried. I yelled at it to get the fuck out of my house. I leaped out of bed. I checked the speakers, not plugged into the wall. At that point, I ran for my life, straight out the back door, out the gate, sobbing and crying hysterically, yet not stopping to ever look back. 
I bolted two blocks to a neighbor's house, lost it on her doorstep, and refused to go back in the house. Eventually, after calming down, she walked me back to the open house. She could feel it too, in the air, all around us, yet she apologized, saying that there was no way in hell she could stay there with me. Part 2, coming soon. Call in and tell us your story at one 260 3428 That is an article that I read off Reddit. It's a personal story, and Jesus, it's so good. I don't even know what I would do in that situation, to be completely honest. I've experienced magnitudes of paranormal activity, but I don't have children. I've never had anything to affect a child in that kind of way. But I can imagine the last thing that I would ever want them to do is feel uncomfortable and especially have it be by something you have no control over and something that you can't see. I'm really looking forward to part two. I hope that you got out of there or you got someone inside to kind of rectify what had been going on. Our next story comes from Queen X Peaches on YouTube. You can find her by typing Queen X Peaches in on the search bar, and it is titled My Paranormal Story. I've really only ever had one strong, significant experience that I just will never forget in my life that was like paranormal. And that was like the day that, the, the night, the day, whatever, that was the time that like I truly believe there are like spirits and things out there that just can't be explained. Okay, so I was, I think, 15 or 16 years old, not really sure. Um, and my mom had a timeshare in Pennsylvania. What a timeshare is, it's basically a vacation home that other people could use throughout the year and we get to go a few times a year and there's other people that also use the same home so it's not really a vacation house, it's just like, you know, basically like a resort type of deal. I don't know how to explain it. So a few times a year we would go to Pennsylvania as a family and just have fun for like a week or whatever. Now I know specifically, I'm not really sure who went this time around, but I know there was two carloads of us. And I remember one night, I've, I've just always been a night owl and everybody was upstairs sleeping because there's like three bedrooms upstairs I believe and then in the living room and the kitchens downstairs. Basically, I slept on the pull-out couch in the living room, and I was on my phone all night. Three minutes after seven, the good old days on my Nokia 6600, I think it was. And I remember talking to my friend all night long. I was on the phone for hours, and I remember it being like three or four in the morning, or maybe two. I'm not sure at the time. I just remember it being really late. And I know when we went up there, it was me, my mom, and I have four nieces. I might have had three nie nieces at that time. So I'm not sure if my brother or my sister went up there with us or who else went. I was in the living room on the pull-out bed, just on my phone, talking to my friend for hours. I was still on the phone with my friend, and I hear my nieces upstairs, like, playing around. The bedroom directly above where I was, above the living room was where my nieces were sleeping and I believe all the kids were in the same room so I just figured you know it's late at night and they're up playing around being loud and I hear them like jumping on the bed and I hear footsteps just running all over and I'm like these kids are gonna get their asses beat if they wake anybody up because they were being so loud I couldn't like even believe it it was like three in the morning 
and they were just being so loud. So yeah, I was still talking to my friend at the time and I was just hoping they didn't come downstairs and bother me. And a few minutes after them running around like crazy, I hear a loud ass bang hit the floor. It was like so loud. It sounded like either they knocked the TV off of the dresser or maybe the whole entire dresser like fell over, you know. Like it didn't even sound like one of them maybe just fell off the floor. It was like so loud. I was like, oh my God, that definitely had to wake everybody up. So I hung up the phone and I grabbed the flashlight because it's kind of like a, it was like a big unit at the time and I didn't want to like turn all the lights on and wake everybody up. And I went upstairs to see if everything was okay. So I go upstairs and I open the bedroom. Like I'm running up there thinking something's wrong. And when I open the bedroom door, the lights are out and everybody is still asleep. So at that moment, I was just really confused. I didn't really know what was going on. I just, I knew I wasn't hearing things because it was so loud and I thought it was them jumping around, but they're like quietly sleeping in their bed and the light is off and it was just so weird. And like, I was, it, I was just really confused at that time. And I remember it was actually really windy and raining that night. And I remember hearing the trees like hitting the window and stuff. Like I knew I wasn't hearing things. Like I specifically heard like footsteps running around and I heard the loud ass bang. And it was just really weird and confusing. And you know, I didn't really think of anything of it. I, I did not sleep until the sun came out. I'll tell you that. Looking back at it now, I mean, I don't know, at the time I really didn't know what was going on. So the next day we actually left, me, my sister, and I think her kids, we all left and then my mom wanted to stay an extra night and she stayed by herself. Now she stayed one night and she left in the middle of the night. Um, she didn't tell us, like we didn't talk like immediately after and she didn't really say anything but like a week after. I just randomly brought up uh, when we were in Pennsylvania, like, you know, something weird happened when I was out there. And I told her, I told her the story and she's like, you know what, the next night I heard something too and I had to get up and leave in the middle of the night right away because it freaked me out. She told me that she was in bed sleeping and again, it was still raining and it was windy, but she was in bed and like asleep, I guess, I don't know, or just laying there. And she said she felt something knock the bed like somebody ran into it and she said she just got up out of bed packed her stuff she was really calm and just left the house in the middle of the night and at that moment it was just even creepier that both of us kind of felt something in that house so after me and her talked it was like confirmed that something's fucked up at the house and i never went back now we do go a few times a year, so, well I don't go anymore, but they go like three times a year, so it's a different unit every time. And I think she told me she sold that unit because we were not going back there. It was, it was so scary and just confusing, and it's like, you know, something must have happened in this house. Like, you know, people could have died there, and they're not going to tell us. Like, we don't really know what's going on. Anyway, that's, that's my little paranormal story. <laughs> Thank you so much, Queen Peaches, Queen X Peaches. That is all she wrote for today's episode of The Haunted Estate. If you really love us, it would mean the world to me. If you could go onto iTunes, leave us a rate or a review. Those are what make us visible to other people. And if you really love me, share your share the podcast with your friends and your family. So thank you very much. And I hope to see you very soon, my little spookers.
Come with me, my love, to say the sea of love. I wanna tell you how much I love you. Do you remember when we met this day? I know you're my pet. I wanna tell you how much I love you. Come with me, my love, to see the sea of love. I want to tell you how much I love you. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.